Welcome to Story Jam. Hey, this is Stephanie Rogers, the producer of Story Jam, a live lit storytelling and music show based in Chicago. Story Jam features top storytellers and a kick-ass band playing original songs written for each story. For more about that, please visit us at storyjamshow.com. Detroit storyteller Shannon Kaysen is special. He has three amazing podcasts, including Homemade Stories, In Good Company, and NPR's The Trouble. And he is an in-demand storyteller who has won awards and who teaches the art of storytelling. Today, Shannon Kaysen shares a story about a run-in with the law, and then we'll hear a song for the story played by our fantastic Story Jam band and featuring our violinist, Anne Harris. After the story and song, we'll talk to Shannon about racism, about being a black man in America, and about storytelling. If you have not been charmed by Shannon at one of our live shows, you will be charmed today. And by the way, Story Jam is sponsored by Great Harvest Bread Company in Evanston, Illinois, where you can enjoy phenomenal breads and goodies. Everything is fresh at Great Harvest. They make amazing sandwiches, salads, grain bowls, and more. Find out more about Great Harvest at greatharvestevanston.com. Now here is Shannon Kaysen, live at Story Jam. All right, so when my mom left my dad, we moved from Detroit to a suburb called Ecorse. And Ecorse is like one of the only suburbs outside of Detroit that even Detroiters look down on, you know. I say that, but Detroit is like, is like booming right now. There's so many cranes and stuff going up in Detroit. You know, you gotta, you should visit Detroit, everybody, you know. Yeah, yeah. But Ecor still has its challenges, you know. But I was just, I didn't think much of it. I was just a kid, like a 12-year-old kid coming up. And I never got into much wrong. I was even involved in the Boy Scouts of America. Any scouts in the house? Any Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, I really, I didn't know how to feel about it because um, something about the word Boy Scout, something about the word boy felt disrespectful to me, you know. And then, and then you had to wear that that uh, uniform with the neckerchief and all the badges and the sash. I, I didn't see myself wearing that, you know. But the Boy Scout meeting was in a gym, and I love basketball. The arrangement the troop leader made with me and my friends was if we become Boy Scouts, the first hour we would do the Boy Scouty things that we were required to do, and in the second hour, he would throw out a basketball. And we didn't have to wear the uniform, so I was in. The, the one kid who did wear the uni- uniform was the, uh, was the troop leader's son. And we would, man, we would rag him for wearing that uniform. You know, man, you look like a, you look like a cute baby soldier, man. And he would punch back, you know, this is how you do it in Detroit. He'd be like, oh, man, shut up. I'll kick you in your Boy Scout cookies, man. <laughs> <laughs> so one day, I'm going to my Boy Scout meeting, 
And I had a dollar, so I stopped at the corner store to get me some better made red hot chips and a Fago peach. You know, that's my favorite. That's a Detroit favorite. So I, I went in the store, got it, and I came out the store. And I hate when, like, people talk bad about my city. I'm from there, so I can do it. But if anybody else does it, you know, I get really upset. But there was a drug raid that was happening on the corner. And I remember I came out, and I had my chips in my pop, and I was just standing there. It looked like the the... These were like evil police. It was like the police were high on meth and they was chasing after all the crackheads. <laughs> they were called Drano. People was like, Drano, Drano. And I thought that was like a slang term for the neighborhood, but that was actually their name. It was the Downriver Area Narcotics Organization. <laughs> Drano. So I'm standing there on the corner eating my chips and I'm watching as Drano is cleaning up the streets and, and I, I'm not like thinking that I'm, I look like everybody else that these police officers are arresting. I'm just watching it like I'm watching a cartoon of G.I. Joe or something like that. And then one of the Drano cops, like Incredible Hawk leaps over to me and throws me against the wall and handcuffs me and my chips and my pop crashed to the ground they put us all in a van it wasn't even a lot of money in the city for a proper paddy wagon it was just a van with the seats pulled out and they just stuffed everybody it was like a I don't know 12 passenger van but you put about 25 people in it so we was just all stuffed on top of each other inhumane like 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 slavery transport or something they take us to this dungeon in the bottom of some building. And all the people, they lined us all against the wall, like against the, the uh, concrete wall. And this may surprise some people, but I know like everybody got their phones and a lot more people are aware of things now. But it still may surprise some people, but some not so much. The police start whooping everybody's ass. Just... Boom, boom. It was like it was exercise for him. Like they was used to doing this. One of the officers cut his hand punching somebody. He did it himself. Cut his own hand, but he got mad, so they just stomped that guy out. They get to me, and I think they knew I was young. I was, I was, I was a big kid, but I was 12 years old. You know, it's hard to not tell a person that's 12. But they get to me, and one of the officers calls me out. Big guy, look, big old huge guy, dressed like a ninja turtle. He called me out. Come, what you was doing out there? I know he could see my fear. So I just told him the truth. I'm, I was on my way to my Boy Scout meeting. <laughs> he smacked me. You ever been smacked so hard? It, it take a little time for the pain to catch up with the sound of the smack. It's like, tsh, then it's ouch later on, you know. So, he, don't lie to me, boy. What you was doing out there? I had to think about it. Um, I stopped at the store, and I, I, I was going to my Boy Scout meeting. He smacked me again. 
I'm not dumb, you know. I'm a pretty smart kid. I'm like the next time I, he asked me what I was, I just told him what he wanted to hear. I said I was, I was, I was going to the corner and um, getting something, and then I was, I was selling drugs. Then he didn't smack me no more. Eventually, they called my mom to come pick me up. And I remember they called my, she told, him, she told my dad to come instead. But I remember this officer, he told my mom, and I knew my mom knew I was going to my Boy Scout meeting. He's going to say, your mom was mad. She going to really get into you when you, I'm like, my mom was probably mad at you because I was going to my Boy Scout meeting. But I had to wait for my dad to show up, which my dad, he's going to take his own sweet time. So I'm sitting there against the concrete wall, and this one guy had, had I guess he swallowed his uh, whatever he had, and he was leaning all on me and stuff. And, and, and eventually, like, the, the police officer who initially slapped me, he called me out. He said, come here. So I walk over to him. I'm walking to him slow, like I got weights in my shoes, you know. You, you ever walk to an ass whooping, that's a slow walk, you know. <laughs> I ain't going to hit you. Come here. So I go over to him. He say, you ain't got to live this life, young man. I know you see these people. They got, the, they got the cars. They got the women. They rapping about it. I grew up in the same neighborhood you did, young man. And I'm going to tell you, that life going to either leave you dead or in jail. And I tell you, you come to jail through me. I'm going to put my foot, and it wasn't pleasant things he was saying he was do, would do to me. <laughs> he went on, the only reason I feel for you, and know it's not all your fault, is because your drug-dealing dad just showed up at the police station smelling like a pound of weed. I should throw Bob Marley in jail right now. They got programs out here that can help you, young man. They got the D.A.R.E. program. I'm involved in that. They got the Junior ROTC. I was involved in that. Get in one of these programs, young man. And I wanted to tell the guy, I'm like, my dad is a, is a, is a great dad. He don't sell drugs. He didn't the stuff that you're talking about. He just smokes a lot of weed. <laughs> like a lot of people. I know people just... You know, just uh, and you really don't have the right to put your hands on me like that. And I'm in a program. It's called the Boy Scouts, you big dummy. <laughs> but I don't say that, you know. I say, uh, uh, yes, sir. And I leave. In the car with my dad, and he did smell a, like really strong weed that time. I'm going to be real. He shouldn't have came like that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm talking to my dad and I'm telling him all that, that just happened. And my dad says, uh, uh, you know, this is a part of growing up in the neighborhood we live in. It's like a... Like he was telling me like it was a rite of passage or something. Like you gotta keep your eyes open, but but these things happen. I didn't want to accept that. 
that going to my Boy Scout meet and stopping with a dollar to get some better made red hot chips and a Fago peach pop, I could be arrested and beat up and, and possibly even get killed. I didn't want to accept that. So I told my dad, I said, Dad, can you um, do something for me? I asked him to get me a Boy Scout uniform. In every meeting, every week on the meetings I go to, I stop at that corner store and I get my pop and my chips and I stand on that corner in my uniform hoping that I see that Drano cop again. <laughs> so I can tell him, I'm in a program. I'm in a program. It's called the Boy Scouts of America. You big dummy. Thank you.
Shannon and I spoke via Zoom, and here's a little portion of our conversation. You were an innocent 12-year-old Boy Scout. Yeah, and having to, to navigate that at 12 and, and being told that that's just a rite of passage for, for young Black men in America. Did you feel like, okay, this is all going to work itself out. I know I'm innocent. I'm going to get out of here. Or did you actually fear that you were going to be in danger? I didn't know what was going to happen, to tell you the truth. I might have sugared it up in the story. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when that happened as a young person, we laughed about it. Me and the friends who were um, there at that time, we all cracked jokes about it. You look so scared when he was punching you. We make jokes of some of the most horrific things for coping purposes. And I used to tell the story when I first started telling the story, I would tell it as a joke. And I told it to a predominantly white audience one time, and I looked into faces of horror. Do you think we're in the in the midst or in the beginning of a revolution? I think it is the start of a revolution. I, I would agree. I, I hope it continues. We just had Juneteenth. What do you think about that holiday? Do you celebrate it? You know what? That, that holiday has always been, to, to be honest with you, in a lot of Black Americans' lives, we may not have known about that holiday. So we didn't celebrate that. We didn't even, I didn't even think about it. Americans and everybody should know the history of the day that when the news of freedom got around to Texas two and a half years after Black people enslaved were free. I think that those benefits of slavery should be repaid to Black Americans. It would be a beautiful thing if, if, if reparations was given at a time of the Juneteenth celebration. And that would make a beautiful Juneteenth. <laughs> you and I have come from two different worlds. I'm from a world where you call the police if something's wrong and you feel like they're supposed to protect you. I've never called the police for anything ever in my life. As a black man, you feel like the police are are there to protect society from you. I don't have anything against police, but if you have these circumstances over and over, you don't call the police. You know, you just kind of like deal with the loss or you handle circumstances on your own. You're enlightening some of our audience. You have a diverse audience. So I could I could kind of uh, take my shoes off <laughs> at Story Jam. I do appreciate that when you walk out on a stage, you just own that room, Shannon. You too. You have a lot of confidence and I bet you have it because you want to speak to somebody. I Personally, I'm more introverted in in personality. However, if I have a purpose, it's not about me. It's about the story. When I step outside of purpose, I'm nervous. But if I can remind myself that Shannon, someone needs to hear this message. You know, I have have stories about addiction, stories about uh, child, child custody. And if I'm telling these stories... I'm like, it's another father out in this audience who needs to hear this to relate to it. Oh, that's awesome. Man, we got to talk more often. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best, Shannon. Thank you, honey. Thank you, Steph. Love you. Love you, too. Thank you, dear listeners. If you enjoy this podcast, please think about becoming a Patreon member. You can receive extra special benefits like personalized video messages from your favorite storytellers, t-shirts, CDs, and even a private storytelling workshop just for you and maybe your friends where we will teach you how to tell a professional story. 
You can find out more on our website, storyjamshow.com. Please always remember in perpetuum storius. It means keep the stories going. See you next time at Story Jam. Check us out at storyjamshow.com.